Amen. Thank you so much, Russell. It's great to uh, be praying into this. It's always interesting whenever I do a giving talk, you always find that, you know, it's, it's a challenging experience, so it's always find it a hard thing to do, and there's something very weighty and heavy about giving talks. Often a lot of people are absent during giving talks, which is one of those strange coincidences of giving a giving talk. I'm sure I didn't publicize the fact I was going to be doing a giving talk this week, but you'd think I had. Um, and, um, but I, I, you know, over the years I found it very interesting and, and kind of in a way it's affirmed spiritually for me, some of the stuff that Jesus said about money particularly, and uh, I don't want to get sort of too heavy about the topic, but just, you know, I always feel there's a battle where finance is concerned. On some levels, that really encourages me, because I'm like, oh, that's really interesting, you know, that there is a sort of spiritual dimension to money, and therefore, again, it sort of seems to affirm a lot, a lot of that Jesus' own teaching and, and makes me more curious and more resistant, if you like, to the narrative around money, uh, which is so often propagated, you know, in our hearts as well as in society at large. I want us to uh, read tonight from um, Mark 12, 41 to 43. Um, and uh, if, you, if you've got a Bible or device uh, to look at, we're going to be uh, just regarding these few verses, um, and then uh, we'll get into the text in a bit more detail. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. Let's read that a second time. Let's have a, have a listen again, and this time try and imagine it in your mind's eye as an experience. Jesus is over here. He's watching. Lots of people are walking down the center here to the altar to put in their big gifts. Someone sneaks in the side, trying not to be seen. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. When we think about money, it's always challenging. This morning, we had a number of new people, we seem to be getting a lot of new people coming in the morning, and, and so two people said to me, it's our first time. And I said, can I just reassure you that we do not do a giving talk here every single week. And they were like, oh wow, I was just, you know, that's quite, thanks for saying that. Because they thought we were, we were potentially one of those churches who kind of do an offering talk, or every week we do a talk about money. And actually, I think in this church, we maybe don't talk about money enough, proportionate to the amount of times that Jesus talks about money. Jesus, Jesus talks about money hundreds of times uh, in the New Testament. It's one of the topics that he actually speaks about most, and, and we tend not to talk about it very much. I'm not sure if it's our British reserve, potentially, a, a desire to avoid sort of embarrassment, uh, and we can sort of shy away from the topic. Uh, and there's maybe some healthy modesty around that, but equally, there are some great risks, because what we don't talk about can tend to grow in the darkness. Jesus told all these different parables that expressed 
what we call the relativity of wealth. He compared the perceived material wealth of some with the true lasting wealth of others. So he was an advocate of the poor and a challenger of the rich. He often took people on the margins of society and celebrated their faith or their giving power, but he often brought a criticism against people in the center or at the front of society who seemed to extend a lot of giving power or a lot of faith, but actually proportionately weren't giving half as much. I think ultimately Jesus exposes what money really represents, that being the heart issue. And I always think as a, as a listener to a giving talk, you know, you do well to sort of like tighten up a little bit and like do up your jacket and get ready for all the sort of subtle blows to try and work out how the preacher is going to manipulate his way into your pocket, take out of your wallet, empty it into the collection plate and then put it back again without you noticing. So I want to just be really transparent with you tonight that that isn't my ambition. I, I don't want to like teach you uh, to uh, some sort of killer blow where you'll feel badly and then you'll give a lot. Because giving out of guilt isn't what Jesus was trying to do. Jesus was trying to encourage people to give out of a discipline and a desire for worship. So if you, you want to relax tonight, I'm not going to ask you for money. I'm going to ask you to consider what you want to give as an act of discipline and discipleship, not as a response to a kind of a, a pity party announcement from the church. Now, I don't believe in giving talks where we'll tell you everything that we need as a church to keep the lights on and the roof on, and then you'll respond out of compassion. Because I don't think, as Christians, we're called to give out of compassion, apart from to the poor. When it comes to giving to God, we're called to give out of discipline and honor and praise. It's a completely different thing. So we're called to give alms to the poor, but we're not called to give to the work of the Lord as an act of compassion to God as if he needs our compassion. And so I want you just to kind of relax and go, okay, this is going to be a different sort of giving talk, I hope, and I want to keep my faculties present, I want to get ready uh, to work out what this really means for me. If I placed 100 gold bars in the middle of church today, that would be an interesting proposition, pretty unlikely it's going to happen, but it wouldn't be the color or the shape of them that would excite you. you know, typically people don't get that excited about lumps of metal and pieces of paper, but you'd equally probably get excited about it, not because of what it is, but because of what it represents. And this is one of the key things about money. Money is exciting to everybody, not because we're interested in paper or metal, but because we're interested in the personalization of money. What does it mean to me? What does it give me? What's the capacity it offers me? And um, it, ultimately, Jesus is asking a really perceptive psychological question of his audience here, which is actually... Whom do you love? So he, he often takes these kind of, kind of benign circumstances, if you like, the temple court, everyone bringing their tithes and offerings, standing by the side, and he, he delivers a really countercultural blow to people who felt entitled and enabled uh, to give uh, generously. You can imagine Jesus sitting near the offering table as people bring in their gifts, and, and, and it says many rich people came and threw in large amounts. So you can be sure that there was a lot of money going into the temple offering that day. And it would have been quite impressive because there wasn't the same uh, sort of British modesty around giving where you sort of slip notes, you know, like you know, through your sleeve somehow onto the plate without anyone noticing. There was a sense of jubilation. Um, I remember being in Israel by the Temple Mount on the celebration of the sheaths of wheat, which is a slightly contentious uh, festival on one level, you know, in, 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 in the moment, in that people with sheaths of wheat were trying to climb 
up to uh, the top of the, of, of the Wailing Wall, and uh, immediately sort of military people appeared, and people started throwing rocks over the top of the wall, and we found ourselves, amazingly, in a sort of a crazy war zone, <laughs> and were locked into the Alamaska Mosque for about three hours while the whole thing settled down. Um, so it's not always like that, by the way. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. But, um, but what was really interesting was that, that there was a sense of jubilation amongst the people who were trying to bring their tithes and offerings into the storehouse. And people gathered up their, their, their sheaths of wheat and they were dancing uh, on, the, on, the sort of, on, the, on the piazza uh, and, and celebrating that they were going to go and deposit their gifts and offerings into the temple. Obviously, you can imagine that didn't, that's quite a complicated thing to do in this current moment. Um, but what, what, what I liked about it was the sort of boldness of it, the sort of celebration of it. There's like, here, I've got this, and I want to give it. How can I give it? Where can I place it? Whereas, actually, we tend to do everything very codedly and very subtly. Go back a few thousand years, and you can imagine the temple courts with the full temple in situ, you know, access for everybody uh, who is, you know, in, you know, in, 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 in relationship with the Lord and, and is upstanding in the community. Here was a festival to bring in the best that you had, and it was a sign of your kind of blessing. How can I show my blessing? How can I demonstrate my blessing and celebrate what God has given me? So Jesus is standing there. There are going to be people coming in with literally pots of gold, pouring them out loudly, going, thank you, God, for how you've blessed me. How I want to receive, you know, I want to, I want to demonstrate your kindness to me. If you go back into Cain and Abel, you see that same principle that actually Abel's, Abel's sacrifice wasn't hidden from Cain. He, was, he saw the first fruits and was jealous because of what, how the Lord had blessed Abel. So here we have a situation where there's, there's a demonstration, an impressive demonstration of the first fruits. But Jesus wasn't impressed. And that, this would have been really challenging because they're effectively fulfilling a rabbinic mandate. Here are people bringing a tenth, a tithe of their first fruits into the temple courts. They're doing everything right. You can imagine, you'd be a bit annoyed if you are bringing in a few thousand pounds out of your 10,000 that you happen to have earned that year, and, and you, you bring it in boldly, and you're celebrating, and one of the rabbis is standing in the corner there, looking pretty unimpressed as you pour out the gold. You know, you'd be like, come on, you know, get a bit excited, clap your hands, you know, give us a cheer. I've worked really hard for this. I, I completely sympathize with this guy. I'm thinking this is, you know, this is someone in a high tax bracket. They're paying a lot. Not paying as much as they were yesterday, but they're, they're still paying a lot. Now, seems a bit harsh that Jesus should be critical towards them, but Jesus is this unbelievably irreligious man because he could distinguish perfectly between religion and true worship. This is, this is the kind of crux of Jesus' perception in the moment. Like he... He sees religiosity, but what he's really looking for is worship. And, and, and I think it's a beautiful thing, although it's a complex thing, that the church that Jesus established doesn't require you to make a tithe. I've given so many giving talks over the years, and people have just said, look, could you just tell me how much I'm supposed to give? You know, like, am I supposed to give 10%? Am I supposed to give 10% net? Or am I supposed to give 10% gross? Now, which one's going to hurt you the most? People want to know, just tell me a number. Just give me some sort of instruction. 
But Jesus doesn't give an instruction because ultimately giving in the Christian church is not about fulfillment of the law, it's about fulfillment of love. Jesus is inviting people to say, look, respond in love to me, demonstrate your heart for the church in the way in which you give. I'm not going to put a number on it because everyone needs to give according uh, to their own conscience. Verse 42 classically pits the wealthy religious legalists against the unclean. So here Jesus picks out a live circumstance, but the juxtaposition is really, really defined. So he talks about wealthy religious men coming into the temple courts to drop off their offerings. So they're representing households. So it's not just they're representing themselves, they're representing their whole household, including their slaves. So wealthy men are coming into the temple courts. Their wives would not have come to deliver the offering. They would have come. And uh, then they're representing households of slaves who they're using, if you like, to maximize their wealth. And they're bringing a representation of all of that to the fore. Now, here we've got in depiction a, a woman who is obviously socially pitted against the man, who's described as a poor woman, a, a woman who was representing herself. So she wasn't a married woman. She's likely to have been a widow. And she's a woman who has very little money, which is a sign that she's most likely to also be a beggar. She's in protection of family. So Jesus has actually picked out someone from society who had been deemed religiously to be unclean and pitted her against the spending power, if you like, of the men of the day who were sort of at the forefront of religious society. It's a kind of classic David or Goliath or Moses and Pharaoh, Gideon the Midianites kind of moment. It reminds me of Jesus' um, ministry of healing to the woman with bleeding. Now, he's on his way to Jairus' house. So Jairus is a very sort of senior and s s sophisticated political player. And yet he stops in the crowd and celebrates the faith of a woman who was deemed to be unclean in society at large. Here, Jesus is watching from the side and a woman sneaks in, a beggar woman who had no family of her own and no money to her name. And yet he identifies her faith and her generosity, and elevates it over uh, those who fulfilled the law. This woman was relatively poor, and yet this woman came with all of her wealth. Now, I, 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 I sometimes smart at the way in which we, we do fiscal politics in this country, because you know, if you take a global view, like the IJM view, and we look at wealth, we are relatively incredibly wealthy in this country. And, and, and I recognize the danger of me saying that because there is also extreme poverty in this country. But wealth is relative to circumstance, and obviously is pain in relative wealth. But there's also an acknowledgement that actually, in order to retain perspective, we have to see ourselves aligned not just to our immediate neighbors, but to a, a global worldview. Say, actually, if we're ever going to retain our giving power, our generosity of heart, we have to align ourselves downwards more than we align ourselves upwards. And, and the danger, I think, of social media in part is because it, it enables us always to admire those with greater wealth than our own. 
And the great danger of that is it, it imbibes in us a spirit of poverty. So when I'm looking at, you know, uh, like luxuryships.com, whatever it is that I'm looking at uh, for on my Instagram feed and Roman Abrovnovich and friends, I'm thinking, oh, he's only got a 50-meter million, millionaire's yacht, you know, uh, you know, but this chap's got, you know, he's got a 300-meter millionaire's yacht. That, 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 that's worth a lot more. He must feel really poor comparatively. Uh, I might think I'm really poor because I don't have a yacht. Uh, therefore, I haven't got any capacity to give. So the woman in the story, perceptively, could have been looking on at these men coming in with huge caskets of gold. She must have been thinking, oh, well, you know, well, she could have been thinking, I have got no wealth. I am poor. In fact, I deserve a payout from the temple. She could well have received one because the temple would give out alms. She didn't say, oh, my gift won't make a difference to the temple's heating and lighting, therefore I'm not going to give. She didn't say, comparative to these really rich people, I've, you know, there's no point in me being here, so I'll just go home. Instead, she kind of strode forward, if in the shadows, to the front of the temple courts and put in what she had. Now, she exercises her giving capacity and outgives because her giving power is 100% of her wealth. So actually, when we talk about this uh, reality, the, the kind of circumstance of her giving, I'll just chuck it all on the floor. Jesus says, I tell you the truth in verse 43, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. Now, the, the disciples there are going to be going, that is ridiculous, Jesus. What are you talking about? You know, this lady's chucked in a couple of these copper coins. They're worth nothing. This guy, he's poured out like a whole jug of gold coins. But Jesus is identifying not the sum of the money, which is immaterial, but the sum of the heart, which is really what he cares about. So he, he says to them, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So in terms of like proportionate giving, this woman exercised her ability to give in totality. She's a far greater giver because proportionate to her wealth, she gave a far greater measure. Which is actually really exciting. You know, when you think about her capacity, she's not disempowered. And, and I love people exercising their capacity. I see a very unjust world, and I like to see people exercising capacity against injustice. And I think on one level, we kind of see the system and then we want to fold into the system however the hierarchy determines we should be and then kind of agree with it in the way that we live. But as I see Jesus inverting a system of hierarchy and empowering people who in the current system are disempowered. I'm thinking when we carry the label of poverty, we, we are limited in our ability to, to exercise our wealth. Now, that's not to say there are, again, I have to be careful because I, that's not to say there aren't real costs of poverty and that we as a church need to demonstrate generosity. But what I am saying is, as individuals, exercising our capacity to be generous should not be determined by the relativity of our wealth. Like, I could say to you, I'm proportionately incredibly poor compared to, I don't know, Steve Bezos. Is that the right name? Jeff Bezos. And they've, all, they've, all, they've all got names like Jeff and Steve and, and things like that. So Jeff, Jeff Bezos. So does everyone agree that I am extremely poor comparative to Jeff Bezos? 
You might, might not be, but I'm just saying. Like, just so you know, I am incredibly poor compared to Jeff Bezos. So I've, I've done a classic, compare up, and now I'm going, oh, well, you know, Jeff Bezos, he can give to the church because, you know, at the end of the day, he can make a difference. What difference will my giving make? Uh, you know, that people like me shouldn't really give because, we, we, you know, we need to receive. So in my mindset, I've already identified myself as disempowered. I'm poor. But I was chatting to a, a homeless guy just before the service. He was saying to me his check hadn't come through. He's staying in a hostel. They're just about to kick him out. He said, did I know anywhere that did transitional housing? Compared to him, am I poor? No, I'm rich. I'm unbelievably rich. I live in a house. I don't, I'm not worried about being displaced. I have a salary. Compared to him, I've got unbelievable ability and capacity. But does that mean that he is now entirely disempowered in his giving? Because I'm in incredibly rich and he is incredibly poor. No, because if he could just put, pick one penny up outside Waitrose and that's all he had and place it in the gift plate of this church, he would still outgive me. He'd outgive me 90%. He can exercise his generosity, his capacity to give proportionate to what he actually has. Now, you can see where this is going and some of you are starting to look really uncomfortable because <laughs> you're thinking, oh no, he's got me, hasn't he? Now I'm going to start giving something because I thought I was incredibly poor, but actually now I've realized I'm incredibly rich. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Like because our wallet starts saying something. You know, it starts shouting, leave me alone, don't come near me. <laughs> like there's zips kind of going round, like on their own in our pockets. Like, <laughs> you know, see like the cards kind of fading and like crumbling to dust. No, do not let me in. Um, when Louis and I were students, we, I was really aware that the love of money was like somewhere in my heart. You know, I could feel it. I could feel the like kind of draw to like buy and pay, you know, even as students. And we used to kind of, just suddenly just go, right, okay, let's take some money out of our bank account. We did this secret giving thing where we would like get £10 notes and put them in envelopes and cycle around Oxford and deposit them through people's doors who were obviously unmarked. Just kind of, ah, oh, get rid of it. You know, just kind of, ah, oh, going to get free. Like just to bless someone without anyone knowing. So I wasn't, so we weren't getting a kickback. You know, we weren't, we weren't in the temple courts going, oh, well done, you've given a load. Just to go, oh, it was so hard to actually push an envelope through someone's front door, you know, without a name or, hey, be blessed, Will and Louis. You know, like that's kind of what you're longing for, a little bit of a glow. Come on, give me a kickback here. You know, just to unmark notes, just to push it through and let it go, you could feel your fingers tightening like, on the load as you, know, as you pushed it in and like almost wanting to like draw it back out of, out of the, the, the slot. You know, it's, oh, no, no, I, can't, I shouldn't do this. It's irresponsible. You some economics in my mind. You know, my dad's saying, you need to be careful, son. Just let it go, just let it go. And then the freedom that comes when you let it go and exercise your capacity to give and the joy that comes from that kind of freedom. When Jesus said, you know, money is the root of all evil, like he didn't mean that money was evil, he meant that the love of money was evil. That actually it was the kind of, there was something going on and it wasn't about money, it was about power. It was about that sense that I am in charge of my life and my lot and I'm going to make a difference on my terms, and ultimately, I don't need Jesus. I don't need to pray for provision, because, you know, what matters is that I've got capacity. I can do this on my own. Ultimately, giving is 
It's got to be sacrificial if it's giving. You know, and I, and I think this is one of the core principles I want to really offer you tonight. It's like, when I often talk about giving, I can almost, I can hear myself, so I'm presuming it's happening to you too. You're calculating what I can afford to give without it hurting me. Like, it's natural. Like, human behavior is, how can I work out how I can give generously without it costing me anything? It's an amazing idea, isn't it? If you think about that principle, like, it's like the ultimate conundrum. Can you think of a way of giving really generously without it actually costing you anything? Well, that would mean that you were basically giving a lot, but you had so much more that giving had absolutely no impact on your life whatsoever. Because that would be really giving out of an amazing surplus. That would be a surplus of a surplus. And that's because we often calculate what we need as a priority, and then we'll think about, well, what we're called to give to God as a kind of tertiary principle because that's our duty and actually what God really wants for us is to be really comfortable and when we're really comfortable then we give a bit back to him just to say yeah come on thanks God good job thanks for giving me everything that I've currently got now the, the trouble is at what point do we decide that we're comfortable enough some of you will find it really easy to give you'll find it just like you know money won't have such a hold over your life but others of you will find that actually money has a natural hold over your life. And it can often be to do with the upbringing we've had, maybe instability, which has led us to want to create safety, or, or maybe just family caution that's left us believing that family caution is the right way forward. If you, go on, if you, if you are a single person, you, are, you have less spending power and less security, so there's particular costs to being a single person and giving generously. If you're a married person, you often disqualify yourself from giving because you think, well, I need to look after my spouse and my children and make sure my children are secure and they've got new shoes for school. And so I'm, I'm, charity begins at home. I'm just going to give to my children and then whatever's left over, I'll give to God, which is really nothing. So, you know, we find a way of making our narrative safe as far as giving is concerned, generally that insulates us from any pain. Um, and, 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 and Jesus' principle is to say, well, actually, you know, that isn't really what it's all about. The woman gave out of her poverty because she expressed abject trust in God. She gave away an opportunity for self-reliance and abandoned herself instead to God's faithfulness. She believed God in Jeremiah 49, 11, where it says, your widows too can trust me. I kind of think, you know, well, she didn't have the Bible, you know, she didn't have the New Testament, she had the Old Testament. So when she's coming in, she's going, your widows too can trust me. Putting her money, all that she had in the temple coffers, going, okay. This is an act of trust. It's an act of obedience. Ultimately, she expressed her giving power 100%. Now, before you all go to sleep, I'm going to just get a volunteer. Who would like to volunteer? I know it's bad news, isn't it, volunteering for me? Who would like to volunteer? Go on there, Deborah. You've got you to you play the game, though, because I know you're, you're far too sharp for this, for this particular game. Now, Deborah, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna, you can stand here by the table. I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to put the, this is the treasury of the Lord in this special box. It's obviously a modesty box as a lid, so you can't see how much Deborah's going to give. And um, I'm just going to put this table here. Now, I'm going to imagine that I'm God. I know it's very sacrilegious to think like that. But um, like thank you. I've got a pot of gold here. And um, what I'm going to do to start off with is I'm going to give you 20, 20 gold coins, okay? So this is, this is going to be you receiving your sort of salary. Imagine, spiritual salary. There we are. How are we doing? Two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
10, that's half, you need a bit more, and you need more to live on, two, uh, here we are, let's get that going on, five, and this is a lot of chocolate, isn't it? Right, there we are, there we are, 20, how are you feeling? Good. You feel rich? Fairly rich, okay, good. It's good, yeah, it's good, isn't it? Right, okay, now what I want you to do to start off with is to think, okay, I've got 20, I've got 20 gold coins. This is you've just received some money. And I want you to think comfortably, like right now, how much you'd like to give over here to the ministry of the Lord. Okay, just have a think about it. Okay, do you want to sort of, do you want to sort of push a few coins out there that you think proportionately? This is, this is, okay, this, is, this isn't like, this isn't a fair reflection on exactly what Deborah would choose, by the way, just, just, she's playing along with me, just in case, I don't want you to predict her giving. Okay, that looks, that looks like quite, can everyone see it's quite a good, that's quite a good spread. So there's one, two, three, four, there's five there out of 20, and that is what, do you want to just give us the maths on that? It's 25%. That is, that is what I call very generous. Tyler, so it's more than the 10%. Right, so. You're on your way now to take your five over there to the, okay. Now just before you put it, just hold on a minute, just, just hold on a minute, just come back this way a minute, because I, I just had a thought. Just put those five on the table there for a minute. Now, I just want to, I just think it's really important that we, that we actually, um, we address your taxation issue to start with, okay. So we're just going to put that there. Now, I think you better put five coins in there for quasi car, quasi Quartang, thank you. <laughs> okay, we're going to give him five for the moment. It would have been six yesterday, but there we are. Um, now, uh, so off we go again. We're going to go and deliver. Now, how are you feeling now about your, about your tithe, about your gift to the Lord? I'm feeling slightly chocolate deprived. Okay, yes. I think we all feel like that. Right, okay, excellent. Now, um, so you're making a way over again to deliver your money into the temple courts. But you just get across that. Hold on a sec, because you just just go back a minute. Because you just you suddenly thought, actually, where do you like to go on holiday? Uh, somewhere cheap. <laughs> That's going to be hard. Let's think about somewhere we'd like to go on holiday. Okay. Florence. Florence. Wow. I'm just going to. I'll put Italy here. Right. Now. That, that's going to be quite an expensive holiday to Italy. So I think let's put three of ours in that bowl if we could. Okay, I think that's probably sensible to put some money away for that. And whilst we're here, I'm just thinking, well, right now we obviously, we've got, we've got sort of also, we need to think about our costs, which are sort of, you know, general living costs. I think we should put five in that bowl just to be, just be on the safe side to make sure we've got enough money for the year ahead. Right, okay, that's... Yes, food and sort of travel and all London life and stuff like that. Great, so if you want to make your way over now and put your, your money in the temple coffers, just stop for a minute, just tell me how you're feeling about, about it. I'm feeling quite poor now. <laughs> okay, so how, many, how much have you got left? Uh, two. You've got two left, and, and you're giving five to the ministry of the Lord. That's, that's, that's very generous of you. Um, are you sure you can afford it? No. <laughs> do, do, do you want to recalibrate your tithe? I'm just trying to work. There isn't a trick. There's not a trick. Um, I'm, I am thinking about it. Okay, well, let, let, recalibrate it according to what you think you can afford now. Go on, tell me what you really think now. Recalibrate it according to how you really think. I've got food and a holiday. Okay. So that's... All right, you've done well. You just drop... Okay, pop, pop, your, pop your 
Pop your gift in the temple courts. Okay, and I'm going to give you those three to take away and eat. Let's give her a massive round of applause. Now, what I want to show you is that, I think Deborah's a really great sport there. Thank you. She's even giving away her gold coins. She's sharing them. I did, the, I did this this morning with the kids. It was really, really interesting. What, what we tend to find is when our mentality is to effectively give God the leftovers, our tithe, our, our generosity diminishes significantly. And, and, and Deborah, when she had 20 gold coins on this table, she felt really good about giving. She felt really positive about giving. In fact, she was giving out of her wealth 25% as a tithe. But when she calculated all of her natural costs, suddenly her heart towards the temple began to go small. And she started saying, well, I can't afford to give. Now, she actually generously still gave four of the five gold coins that she'd committed. But she could have easily said, I'm going to give God just one of the five, and I'm going to keep for myself. What happened this morning with the children was that, actually, I gave them the opportunity to replay the exercise and forget putting money in pots, and just to give what they were going to give when they had 10 gold coins each. Now, interestingly, I said initially they had to give one gold coin to the Lord, but after the exercise, they actually put in about four each. They wanted to be generous because they were giving out of their generosity, out of their wealth, out of their giving power. They weren't giving out of their calculated sense of cost. Now, what I want to help you all to understand tonight is that your giving power is not determined by your costs. Your giving power is determined by your hearts. Now, that's not to say that there's a number in your mind that has to be right, because that would be irresponsible of me. The Lord hasn't called you into bankruptcy. The Lord has called you, though, to exercise your opportunity to give generously, which is always your opportunity. But we can support that opportunity in our attitude of heart and our action mentality, or we can disempower it. And I would say the most disempowering decision you could make is to say to God, I'm going to give you out of my leftovers rather than out of my first fruits. And one of the key rabbinic principles of giving was that you give out of the first fruits of your labor. You decide, God has blessed me in this way, and I'm going to bless the Lord in this way. Everyone in this room, whether you're a student, whether you're unemployed, whether you happen to have a fantastic job in a city firm, whether you're a curate, priest, worship leader, you've all got the capacity to exercise your generosity and your giving 100%. It's in your own hands. It's entirely up to you what you decide tonight. As I said at the beginning, there's no tricks here. But what I do want to implore you to is to recognize that there is a biblical mandate for you to exercise your giving capacity. That giving is not a, a gift that some people have. It's a discipline that every Christian person is called towards. And so we're called to participate together to build the church. Now, I want to dispel a few practical myths before we worship. The first um, practical myth is that the Church of England pays a monthly amount to keep St. Diana's Church running. Now, the reason I give you this myth is just because if you thought that, that that was true, that would really disempower your giving, and if I were believing that, I would give my money to the homeless guy that I just met before the service. 
we pay a voluntary tax every year to the Church of England to pay for all of the ministry that we undertake. It's an amazing thing. You pay in order to play. And here at St. Dinah's Church, we pay over £100,000 a year to the Church of England to pay the salaries of our own clergy and to pay the salaries of bishops and also to pay in support of poorer parishes that haven't got our kind of giving capacity. So we're giving away. So we're giving away over £100,000 to the Church of England, who are basically bankrupt, although don't say that on the recording, um, because ultimately the Church of England has got no uh, income stream other than the benefit of the people within the church. You might have heard about incomes in the press. They're largely tied to clergy pensions which run back 100 years or so and have no practical benefit to the church at large. The day-to-day running of the church is dependent on the people of the church. And as a church, we tithe too. So we're tithing our own money to the charities that you will have heard us talk about. Charities like Christians Against Poverty, uh, Crosslight, um, IJM. We're raising hopefully 25,000 for IJM over the course of this weekend. Um, Glassdoor, um, Kids Matter, you name it. We are giving away our money. We've, we've just given 30,000 pounds away to uh, the CAST charity for them to finish the project over the road so we can extend ministry uh, in this local area. So we're giving away money as a church. It's certainly not going to go to my Ferrari fund. Uh, just so you're happy with that idea. So that's the first thing. There is no uh, big um, fund of money that the Church of England is going to get. The second, the second uh, one of our uh, myths is that we rely on a small handful of very wealthy people at St. D's who basically pay everything and everything that you give is kind of you know, immaterial and not necessary to the whole load. And I just want to say again, this is entirely untrue. This church, more than any other I've been part of, has got a very, very balanced base of people. We are generally from similar sorts of areas of work. We have a great band of wealth and poverty, but in terms of the national banding, it's actually quite tight, which I rather like. We've got a lot of people involved in civil service, the professions, people in very sort of middle income areas, but we haven't got tech entrepreneurs, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't come to this church. There isn't anyone here who's saying, hey guys, I'm just going to throw down a couple of million a year so you can keep the church running, and everything else you do is just good discipleship. That's just not us. We're dependent on your giving, and I'd say on average people give monthly between 150 and 250 pounds a month. Doesn't sound like an awful lot. It's a kind of less than gym subscription. But actually, what it does collectively is that we are all participating in the giving of the church. And so you can hear, uh, see our answers. 107 members, that's 86% of our electoral roll, not of our actual membership. We've got more members than that. They give via standing order and their contributions make a difference. I think the total number of people who attend this church is more like 300 through our, all our services. You can see that are probably about between a third and 50% of our actual people who attend the church are giving to the church. So that'd be like going to a gym and you paying, but the person next to you not paying anything, and them using your towel. So just say, it's not a great illustration, but it's just a, it's just a reminder. It's just a reminder that, you know, we all, we're all here together. We're all drinking the same coffee. We're all using the same loos. We're all using the same, no, we're not using the same toilet paper. We're using the same brand. And we are all here to, like, consume on one level all the things that cost money, the, the lights, light, the rich and the poor all together, 
we're all participants together. What matters is not how much you give, it's about your exercise of your proportionate spending power. That's what matters, the exercise of your generosity. Uh, the final myth, just to make you aware of, is that God's calls specific people into the gift of giving. And um, as soon as you become comfortable enough for your financial situation, then you can start the process of giving. What we actually find is this morning, we had about 30 kids go and just give money out of their pockets into the, it was really moving. They just went over there, so I didn't ask them to. I said to children, you can choose to exercise your giving capacity like the widow too. And then suddenly a little stream of children started going up and putting pounds in the box. Because actually if you train a child in how to go, then they will continue that way in the rest of their life. Like I was taught to give some of my pocket money to the work of the Lord, and I continue to do that now as an as a older person. If you're thinking, I will get comfortable and then I'll start giving, you will never, ever give. Because there's never a point at which you're comfortable enough to give. Like, what, what, at what point is it okay? You know, what, how many, you know, what point is it, is it a comfortable time? It's always uncomfortable to give, but you should resist the discomfort and choose what you want to do anyway. Giving is not a, a particular fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's a response to the love that God has shown us in the person of Jesus Christ. So some people find it easier, some people find it harder, but it's actually something that obligates every single person in the room. It's an act of discipleship. I'm going to give uh, to the work of the Lord. We could go into a thousand scriptures about why that's the case. But most importantly, not, I want you to not respond to need tonight, although there are needs. I want you just to ask the Lord, what, what do you want me to give? And if you want to give tonight, there are a number of ways in which you could do that. You could give the tap and go machine. You could, put, you could put some money on that. That's fine. The trouble is it's not tax efficient. And Jesus likes a prudent giver as well as a generous giver. And Kwasi Kwarteng, Kwarteng is, I'm just getting used to the, the new, this is kind of, politics has shifted a lot recently, hasn't it? So he gives us 25 pence every time we give a pound, as long as it's given through gift aid. So if you think about that, if we raise 100,000 pounds, Hannah, our children's worker, salary is just free, thanks to Kwesi Kartang. Thanks very much. It's an easy thing, just fill in a form, and actually we get all that money back. Our children's and youth work is paid for by the government. Isn't that remarkable? So long as we fill in a form. So all we have to do is give by standing order. There's a thing called a parish giving scheme. It's so simple. You can just fill it in through the St. Dionys website. You just click Get Giving. If you've got any giving questions, you can ask me, Laura, any of the team. But primarily, my best advice is to choose to do something today that will exercise your capacity to be generous. And it might be that you just say, look, I, I thought it was interesting. I'm just going to put a £10 a month standing order together. Um, it's nowhere near my capacity, but I just want to start giving today because I know if I don't do something, nothing will ever happen. So you could do that. What I advise you against is doing some sort of unbelievably complicated calculation of what you can actually afford in five years' time and then think about it for three or four weeks and then forget about it and then don't do anything at all, which is what most people tend to do. Just do something. Do something in response to the Lord tonight. Why don't we stand?